Acts chapter 9. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, here I am, Lord. The, the Lord said to him, get up and go uh, to a street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying, and he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias, come in and lay his hand on him so that he might regain his strength. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Paul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. The word of God. Please be seated. Difficult conversations are, well, difficult. <laughs> Difficult conversations are tough. Difficult conversations are difficult and they are tough because they involve the truth. Either the truth about something or someone else or the truth about yourself. And sometimes the truth about both. Difficult conversations are, well, difficult. And so I want to ask you to reflect on this question. We're going to ask you to stand in a moment, whichever one you choose. And if you're online, you can uh, say option one or option two. Which would you rather? Would you rather, have, uh, would you rather tell someone a difficult truth about themselves and confront them with that? Or would you rather have someone tell you a difficult truth about yourself? Hmm. That's an interesting one, right? We're all my people pleasers. I'm curious to see what you're going to do along with me. Which would you rather? So, you've thought about it. So now I'm going to ask all of you who would rather tell someone else a difficult truth about themselves to please stand. Show us yourselves. It's okay. We all we have different personalities. That's awesome. I, I, I see you, Bill. I see, I see my daughter as well. That's great. <laughs> tell it to me, Amelie. Tell it to me. Awesome. Please be seated. Those of you who would rather have someone else tell you a difficult truth about yourself, please stand. We are the people pleasers. <laughs> we don't like to tell other people things that make us uncomfortable. Uh, well, I'm in good crowd. Thank you so much. Wow, that's interesting. That's interesting. We would rather have 
a truth about ourselves told to us than most of us. Thank you, those courageous few. We need you in our lives. At the end of the sermon, that's pretty much what we're going to say. <laughs> yeah, for many of us, we would rather uh, have someone else tell us the truth about ourselves that we're not comfortable with rather than tell someone else the truth about them. So I wonder, what is the most difficult conversation you have had? Just think in your own mind, what is the most difficult conversation you have had? A conversation that you entered into with fear and trepidation, not wanting to do it, but, but you had to. What is the most difficult conversation you've had? I can think of many, in ministry, also just in life. But perhaps for most of us, it is in relationships where we can relate to this question of what is the most difficult question, uh, conversation you've had to have. Many, many decades ago, when I was young and in love, it was incredibly difficult to hear from this person to whom I poured out my heart that I loved her, that she said, well, I don't feel the same about you. <laughs> Boy, it is tough to be on that side of the conversation. It is equally awkward and tough to be on the other side of the conversation. I've had to go to a coffee shop with someone where I was nervous about what this was about. And then she said, this is how I feel about you. And I was like, whoa, I do not feel the same. And this is where it's, it's me, it's not you, it just doesn't work. <laughs> that never works. Because it's me, not you, means because of who I am and who you are, it is you, not me. Well, anyways, <laughs> you know how it goes. In relationships, it is tough when you have to confront someone with the truth or hear the truth that they're confronting you with. Parents and children, children and parents, teachers and students, students and teachers. Employees and employers, employers and employees. Difficult conversations are tough. Here in Acts chapter 9, we have a story about difficult conversations, and it's difficult conversations about the truth, the truth of four different groups of people. And the context of this difficult conversation is conversion who God is and who Saul and Ananias and the community is. There are four characters that we find in this narrative in Acts chapter 9. Of course, we have God. God who propels this story along. In Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus had ascended and the early Christian followers of Jesus weren't sure what to do and they waited for word from God and Pentecost happened and the Spirit is poured out and God moves forward this movement. And so in Acts chapter 9, God is very much in control here. God is the one who speaks to Saul and God is the one who speaks to Ananias and God is the one who cares for the community. The second character we have, if you like, is a group of people, the people on the way, as it says in uh, verse 2 of chapter 9, the people on the way. I love that early Christians were called the people of the way, the way of Jesus, which is the way of love and grace, of nonviolence and peace and justice. 
So we have God who propels the story forward, and we have the people on the way who we find out earlier, Saul is persecuting. Saul, a fervent and religious leader who believes that the people on the way are in the wrong and have veered off the straight and narrow path, and he persecutes them. So we have God in the story, we have the people on the way, and then we have Saul, Saul himself. Like I said, he was a religious leader and thought to purify the church from these people who are following the Jesus way. And then we have Ananias. Name Ananias we find a couple of times in the book of Acts. Pastor Chris had a great sermon on Ananias and Sapphira. There's also Ananias, the high priest. But this is Ananias, a very unassuming disciple. And so here we have four characters on straight street. <laughs> I think it's kind of purposeful that the narrator talks and sets the story in straight street. In fact, this is straight street today in old Damascus. It's really cool that we can see uh, where some of these stories had happened. The story says that God sent Saul to straight street and sent Ananias to straight street. Kind of a story about God setting people straight. Hmm. So, as we look at the text, there's this parallel, this compare and contrast between Saul and between Ananias. Saul, the one of whom we know so much and talk about so much, Ananias, of whom we don't speak that often. And I think it's important for us to look at the various comparisons and contrasts in this narrative between the two, because as the story unfolds, there's something particular that the author wants us to know. And so we see Saul is on his way to Damascus, and we see that Ananias is on the way of discipleship. Ananias in uh, Acts chapter 22 and 23 says that he was well-respected in the community. Saul is on the way to Damascus, and Ananias is already in Damascus, but he is on the way of discipleship following Jesus. Saul is on a mission to kill. And Ananias is on a mission to follow. They both receive a vision from God, so that's where they have the similar thing. But then we see when Saul has this vision of God, Saul responds to this vision, who, who are you? Lord, and that is contrasted with Ananias when confronted with a vision from God who says, here I am, Lord. Hmm. We see that the vision results in blindness for Saul, while the vision for Ananias leads to an expanding worldview, an expanding of his understanding of grace. It's interesting to note that Saul does not know his future. When God confronts him in the vision, God tells Saul to go to Damascus, to Straight Street, and wait there. But in the story, Ananias gets specific instructions, but it is all about Ananias knowing Saul's future, but not his own. Ananias steps into this experience, not sure what will happen to him, but he is sure what will happen to Saul. That's a disciple on the way. Like I said, Saul gets general instructions, go to Straight Street and kind of hang out there and wait. <laughs> it's kind of like in the movie where they say, like, oh, you just wait here. <laughs> 
And Ananias gets specific instructions for what he needs to do in the story. And so we see Saul waits. Saul waits. It's a little bit of a hurry up and wait. And you can imagine what goes through Saul's mind and heart and the people along with Saul. But Ananias in this story moves. We find that in the story Saul moves and then he is caused to wait. And Ananias waits and then is caused to move and he moves. We see that Saul sees Ananias and people like him on the way as the enemy and Ananias eventually sees Saul as a brother and not the persecutor. We see that Saul, by the end of the story, Saul's sight is restored. He sees, he sees physically, but more importantly, he sees spiritually. And then we see also for Ananias that his vision is enlarged. He was not blind. He could see, but he needed to see more clearly. And then we see in the end that Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit and is baptized like Uni was today. And then we see Ananias is filled with the Spirit already, and he is an agent of the Spirit. And it doesn't say who baptized Saul, but it's kind of neat to think that Ananias was perhaps the person who baptized Saul in this experience. Isn't this great? What a contrast between a persecutor and a disciple on the way of Jesus. And this is a difficult conversation, a difficult conversation of God with Saul, of Saul with God, of Saul with his fellow persecutors, Saul with the people on the way, and a difficult conversation for Ananias with God and God with Ananias. Although God seems to be easy in all these conversations, but for Ananias, like, nope. Hang on, God, did you hear? Because for Ananias, there was real danger. He does say, here I am, Lord. But the very next thing is, I have heard of this Saul of Tarsus and how he has killed our people. And yet God says, get up and go. (laughs) This is a difficult conversation with real danger for Ananias. It's a difficult conversation because Ananias does not know the outcome for himself. He knows the outcome for Saul because God has declared that, but he does not know the outcome for himself. Even though he trusts in God, he steps into this experience not knowing. And of course, this is a difficult conversation because it involves a change in perspective. And we are unsettled when the foundation of our very being and values gets called in question and we have to shift our perspective. This is an incredibly difficult conversation. And so I just want to... leave three things with you about Ananias that I feel the story um, brings forth here. Number one, he's a disciple, as we've said already, who says, here I am. This unassuming disciple is available, especially in this difficult moment in the community's life and in Saul's life. We think of many of the different uh, characters in the Old Testament like Noah and Moses and Samuel and David and the prophets, all who said, here I am, here I am, in incredibly difficult moments, in exile, in exodus, in times when the people do not listen to God. 
And so we see that Ananias is a disciple on the way. And to be a disciple on the way is to say, here I am. With open heart, always ready for something more. The question always for the disciple on the way is, can we see with God? Can we see with God? The truth we know of a person or of people must move to the background, and what we know of God's desire for them must move to the foreground. I love what American writer and philosopher Albert Hubbard says. He says, as we grow better, we meet better people. Did you hear that? As we grow better, we meet better people. I'd like to paraphrase and say, as we grow in the grace of God, we meet better people. Are you excluding people? Are you looking down? Are you judging? Perhaps we need to grow in grace. So we can meet better people. And we find that Ananias sees along with God in a new way. And he says the most grace-filled words in this entire passage, possibly in all of Acts and maybe even the New Testament. Ananias comes to Saul. He lays his hand on him, the the persecutor, and he says, Brother Saul. The most grace-filled words in this passage. They went from being enemies to being brothers. Disciples who say, here I am. If they see along with God, disciples will understand that their enemy is their brother. And just a quick note. Saul is in here because God says Saul is in. Not because of anything that Saul had done. That's called grace. Saul is in not because of a list that Ananias is checking off. Keep the commandments. Nice robe. Sweet Jesus sandals. There's no list that Paul has to follow here. And Ananias cannot compare it to a list to say, okay, he's good to go. No, Ananias acts in faith because God says Paul is in. Ananias sees along with God and says, he's in. And he calls Saul brother. And in this challenges us, the church today, to extend the hand of fellowship to whomever God brings in our way. Can we see with God? Ananias did. If you don't know me, uh, I was born and raised in South Africa, came, came to the U.S. in 2001. And I grew up during apartheid South Africa. I was born and raised in racially segregated, government-instituted racism in South Africa. I spent half of my schooling in Adventist private Christian schools and half of my schooling in state schools. And the interesting thing is that during my education, I did not really know what was happening, what apartheid was, because I was, am, white in a privileged position. And so during my state education part, uh, learned about Nelson Mandela, who is the terrorist. 
that is what I grew up with. Not so much in my house, but in the state-run schools and in uh, conversations around uh, with teachers and people like that. It was an interesting time to live in. I was not aware of most of it. But I did know that Nelson Mandela was a terrorist. Seeing, can we see with God? It is so interesting in history when terrorists become heroes. When I was in high school, I was just too young in order to cast my first democratic vote for the great hero of mine, Nelson Mandela. And the textbooks had to change. The terrorist became president for the first time. I was taught to see one way. And in my lifetime, this incredible thing happened where I had to see a different way. And I was so grateful for professors and teachers and parents and others who came alongside. And in the midst of that journey, was able to recognize that we need to expand our vision. A quick example that is not as profound and powerful, but those of you who are football fans, or I mean soccer fans, <laughs> The, the Euros 2020 is happening right now. It's the Euros 2020 because COVID happened. And so they were playing it in 2021. I'm stuck to the screens watching everything happening. And Denmark player Christian Eriksen collapsed on the field. Many of you probably heard about this, right? He collapsed on the field. A young 29-year-old man who has the best medical teams around them 24-7. And he had cardiac arrest. He collapsed on the field in front of thousands of people. They, they had people in the stadium. Uh, and incredibly fortunate that it happened right there. What better place to have cardiac arrest than in front of thousands of people where you have so many qualified people who are trained for just this moment. They were able uh, to revive him. They continued the game. Uh, and you can imagine how uh, the how that game was. Denmark playing against Ukraine and, and uh, how do you play against a rival who had just had someone in a vulnerable position? They did play the game and then a couple days later they played against Belgium and the entire stadium and everybody, his shirt number is number 10. And so in soccer, you have this incredible rivalry between people, and they're competing for the highest honors. But everybody set this rivalry <laughs> as enemies when they're on the field for 90 minutes. They're enemies because they want to win. But they set this rivalry aside. They brought out this massive number 10 shirt before the game to honor Christian Eriksen, who was okay and in the hospital watching this. What a beautiful story. And the entire, at 10 minutes into the game, the entire, I call them congregation, <laughs> the entire audience, the entire spectators, and the players stopped the game at 10 minutes to honor their friend. Their rival is now their brother. What a beautiful scene. What a beautiful scene for Christian Eriksen. And in that moment, the entire stadium, the two teams, the two countries were all together because of the vulnerability of a human being that they saw and expanded their view. We need to see with God. 
And then the last one. Ananias is an example of somebody who brings vision to others. Ananias goes to Saul armed with Saul's future and not his own. For him, like I said, the, the dangerous unknown is real and the fear of, of the future is real. But Ananias was there for a crucial time of blindness in Saul's life. Disciples on the way who says, here I am, Lord, and sees with God, puts their own future aside and comes alongside and sees the future for someone and helps them to lean into that future. So when we look at this parallel again, it is this beautiful contrast and comparisons of two people, a persecutor and a disciple on the way. You know, I always thought when growing up that I needed to be, have a conversion experience like Saul. I don't know how many of you grew up in this setting. Heard, the only testimonies I heard were from people who had these crazy backstories and weird lives and then turned their lives around. That was not me. I always thought I had to be, have a Saul experience and sometimes would make up stories in order to, to oh, I'm this great Christian. In fact, those are fewer and far between than the moments on the right where people simply step in and say, yes, God, use me. And it's interesting, I like, as I was thinking about this comparison, we'd like to call Saul's experience a conversion moment and Ananias' experience a conversion movement. The gospel is not propelled by Christian uh, conversion moments. The gospel is propelled by conversion movements. Yes, there are conversion moments, but they need to be conversion movements to move along God's kingdom. And so conversion is individual and communal. God could have restored sight uh, to Paul with outside intervention. I mean, after all, God had uh, struck, you know, Saul with blindness without any outside help. <laughs> Yet the fascinating thing is that God chose to mediate Paul or Saul's healing and his anointing through a human instrument in the person of Ananias. And so the point is, the conversion is individual and communal, and the gospel comes as an embodied message. In the book of Acts, instead of continuing to send instructions from the clouds, Jesus calls upon disciples, embodied disciples, to bring about the gospel. See, conversion is one part spirit and one part human. We cannot separate conversion uh, from other people. We need others in our conversion moments and our conversion movements. And other people need us in, our con in their conversion moments and their conversion movements. And so we see that both Saul and Ananias were pushed to see in a new way. And they were led by God to fresh perspectives that transformed their lives. So the question is, for the sermon series, is why? Let's start with Why? The vision that God gives is less about what we can capture in sight and sound. It is more about being captured by God. Visions are not so much about capturing what God says or does, but being captured ourselves. And so this story of Paul's conversion joins a number of other conversion stories that unfolds in chapter 8 through 10 in Acts. 
begins in Acts chapter 4, about the conversion of the Samaritans, and then the Ethiopian, and now the conversion of Saul, and the conversion conversion stories are going to climax with the Roman centurion who believes and then is being baptized. And so each of these stories takes us farther and further and further from the original community in Jerusalem than the one before, and it expands. They tell, each tell a story of God who touches the lives of unlikely people from diverse backgrounds so that the good news moves from Jerusalem and spreads across the earth. And I've often said, because of the Apostle Paul, you and I are here talking today about this story. But we have to also say, because of Ananias, we are here today listening to this story. Difficult conversations. I think we can all probably testify that once we've had difficult conversations, whether that is to someone else or someone to us, once we've had difficult conversations, ultimately, we become better people, right? And you kind of wonder, why didn't I do that earlier? Because it's difficult. Difficult conversations are difficult. Laird Hamilton, the the surfer, he says, you need to do one scary thing a day. Because he says, to quote, I know that if I scare myself once a day, I become a better person. Church, we need to scare ourselves with the grace of God. The question is, For this sermon series, what is the church community we want to create by design and not by default? What is the church we want to create on purpose and not just because? What will we value? What will we prioritize? Well, the the story of Acts chapter 9 about these two disciples and specifically about Ananias, the answer to what kind of church we want to create is we want to create a church where disciples are on the move. Conversion movement, not just conversion moments. Conversion movement, day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, week out, year out. What kind of church do we want to be? We want to be a church with an ever-expanding view of God's grace. We want an ever-expanding view where our enemies can be our friends. Where God affirms others and we affirm them. How can we be more inclusive? like Ananias. So here is a story. The most courageous believer and Damascus played out a parable of grace. Saul was blind, but now he sees because of Ananias. Saul hoped to imprison Ananias, yet Ananias came to set Paul, free. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved someone like Paul, someone like me. Amen.